Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, Shauna Jensen has lived, loved and worked in the music biz for more than 50 years. She's performed with countless household names, performed solo shows at the Mardi Gras After Party and Harbour Party, performed at the opening and closing ceremonies of the Sydney Gay Games to tens of thousands of people, and at sell-out shows at clubs in London, LA, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Mexico, Rome, New Zealand, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. She performed this story at the Naughty Noodle Fun House on the Central Coast. Okay, lovely to see you. Thank you for having me. Um, People always tell me that they would love to be able to sing. I've wished that I had a $5 note for everybody that I've ever met that said, I'd love to be able to sing. It'd be so nice. Well, in case you don't know me, and after that introduction, obviously, duh, I'm a singer. That's what I do. And in fact, this year marks the 52nd year that I have been a professional singer. So I think, thank you very much. Thank you. I've had the privilege to sing with some of the greatest names in show business, and I worked for decades as a touring background singer for Jimmy Barnes, Noiseworks, Richard Clapton. I've recorded background vocals on so many albums, I can't even tell you what they were because I can't remember them. I was in the original production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I was in, uh, in Betty Blockbuster Follies with Reg Livermore. I've done several shows with Bob Down, and I'm currently on tour with him at the moment in his show Viva Bob Vegas. I sang, I know, it's hilarious. I sang regularly on the midday show with Mike Walsh, with Ray Martin and with Kerry ann And as Maeve so uh, eloquently said, I've sung at the opening and the closing of the Sydney Gay Games, Mardi Gras shows, blah, blah, blah. The bitch has been everywhere, okay? I was the TV and radio jingle queen in the 80s. I even recorded an unreleased album with Hugh Jackman, produced by the legendary, great American producer, Phil Ramone. Why that album, it was actually an album of duets that was going to be uh, Hugh's introduction into America because they, he was going over to do The Boy From Oz and they didn't think that Americans knew who Peter Allen was, so they were going to do this album of duets and I was like the ring-in so they could take them over to America and get fabulous singers to do all these duets with Hugh. But I have to tell you, in those days, Hugh wasn't a very good singer, so... <laughs> He wasn't. He actually wasn't, and he would be the first to admit it. But a beautiful guy and just one of those people that you could just sit at a table with and feel completely comfortable, no bullshit, just lovely guy. So how did I become a singer? I'm often asked that, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. So growing up in the 50s in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, I'm a child of a Greek first-generation mother and a second-generation Irish Catholic father, 
I remember being about five or six years old and sitting glued to the TV with my Mickey Mouse Club ears, singing M-I-C, see you real soon, K-E-Y, why? Because we like you, M-O-U-S-E, no, no, okay, just me, okay, well, I am, a, I am a thousand years old, so I do remember that, but I just love to sing, so it resonated with me, and I used to sing to, along to every theme song of every television show, music made me so happy, whether it was watching some random Jeanette MacDonald or Deanna Durbin musical that was always on in the in midday if you got to stay home from school and on daytime TV. And I sang and I sang everywhere. My parents would have me sing at friends' dinner parties. I sang at primary school and later at high school. And it was my happy place. The only place I could feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I belonged in my family. I didn't feel like I was wanted. But I spent a lot of my childhood feeling that and I felt like I was put up with. And music was my happy place, it was my escape, it was my haven and it was where I really felt alive and it was my safety net. And I know it's cliche, but I was that chick dancing around in my bedroom with my hairbrush. Who here hasn't done that? <laughs> so in the, in the 60s, music was a fast-growing and ever-changing beast. Parents feared it and kids loved it. There were fads galore and rock and roll had evolved from a safe, cute, white, generic singers into the swinging hips of Elvis, Chubby Checker and The Twist, and then the world discovered The Beatles and The Rolling Stones. At that time, my mother's best friend, our Auntie Val, worked for a guy called Lee Gordon, who was the only promoter who would bring acts into Australia. And so he brought out everybody that there was and we got tickets to everything. I can remember going to see shows when I was very, very young. We always had house seats, which meant that they were the best seats in the house. I saw the Beatles when I was 11 and I stood outside their hotel in Maclay Street screaming along with my sister and her friends. I don't know why, but I was just doing it. At home, we'd go across the road to our friend Cheryl Penn's house and put on Beatles records and stand with our tennis rackets and be the Beatles. But because I was the young one, I, I was never allowed to be Paul or John. I always had to be George and it gave me the shits. It really did because it wasn't fair. And um, because George wasn't considered the cool one, of course. So we went to see them when they came out to Australia at the stadium and we stood on rickety wooden chairs and screamed our little heads off as the Beatles spun around on that revolving stage. Of course, we were with our mother and Auntie Val who found it incredibly hilarious that all these kids were screaming and my mother swore that Paul McCartney looked directly at her and rolled his eyes as if to say, I see you, yes, it's ridiculous, which of course was fucking bullshit, of course he didn't. <laughs> We went to the showground, now Fox Studios, to see the Rolling Stones. And my sister had read somewhere that their favourite sweets were jelly beans. So she tied some up into a hanky and threw it at the stage at Brian Jones, who was like the hot one. But he's dead, so no, no longer hot. Um, and um, drowned in a swimming pool. Mm, not good. Um, now, it may or may not have hit him in the leg, but nevertheless, after the show, she was able to get the secure the security guard over and point to this bag of jelly beans wrapped up in a tartan hanky, and she cut it up and sold it for 
um, two fifty cents a piece or something at school to all her friends. It touched Brian Jones's leg, so it was a really big thing. So, <laughs> this, you know, we didn't have internet. We were simple folks over there in Four Clues. In, uh, <laughs> in fact, well, it was a fishing village in those days. My, and when I work working with Bob, he, he asks me, he said, we've known each other for so long that we, we remember the time before mobile phones when we had landlines that had numbers in front of the letters. And my phone number in those days was FU3020. Sorry, <laughs> still is. Okay, so in 1967, my sister brought home an LP. That's a vinyl record. For those of you who don't know what that is. This record changed my life. It was called Motown Chartbusters, and I actually still have it. And I play it on my record player, but it kind of goes like this. I don't know if any of you have record players. But it had Stevie Wonder, or little Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross and the Supremes, The Temptations, Martha and the Vandellas, and it blew my tiny mind. All that soul music, I just couldn't believe it. Now, at that time in Australia we had what was known as the White Australia Policy. So it was a shamefully racist policy designed to prevent anyone who wasn't Caucasian migrating into Australia. So the only people of colour that I had ever really seen were on television. And they were Sammy Davis Jr. and Shirley Bassey. And that was it. There was only white people on the street. That was it. And where I grew up. So to discover this music as a young teen just blew my mind. I fell in love with it and I wore that record out. I soon became aware of other music by other artists like Sam and Dave, Otis Redding, and the great, the queen of my life, Aretha Franklin. Something in me resonated with this music and the feel of it, the sound of it. I wanted to hear more of it. I wanted to feel more of it. I wanted to drown in it. I just wanted to sing it. I just loved it so much and I still do. And as a child growing up, I knew that my maternal auntie, Angela, had been a very well-known opera singer. And I have serendipitously been given her name as my middle name. And she travelled to Europe and had sung at Covent Garden and even recorded, and I still have, the 33 and a third recording wrapped up in tissue paper and cotton of her singing The Piper From Over The Way. And I used to put that on my wind-up record player. It's true, I had a wind-up record player and the needle you had to was on this thing and you had to put it anyway. And I used to sing along to it because I just loved it. And I later found out that her father, my grandfather, was also a fabulous singer and a raconteur who had, on being heard singing in his village in Greece, had been asked to travel to Italy and become the next Enrico Caruso. But he declined because he was a simple man. He wanted to stay in his little village in Greece. And Auntie Angela performed all over Europe and then she met and fell in love with a lovely German, my gorgeous darling Uncle Hans, and he asked her to give up her career, which she did, which was done in those days. So singing is in my gene pool, so it's very easy for me to do. It's always been the one thing that I've done easily and very effortlessly and felt from the very core of my being that it was the only thing that I was put on this planet to do. So... Back to the early 60s, Mummy sent my sister and I to the local talent school at the Presbyterian Church Hall on a Saturday morning, run by a fabulous woman by the name of Miss Roderick. Now, Miss Roderick was a tartan skirt, sensible brown shoes and sup hose, a twin set and a no-makeup kind of gal. 
She taught us everything showbiz. Some days we'd be learning a Highland fling, other days it'd be ballet or singing or putting on plays. We did everything and I loved it. I lived for Saturdays. I was able to do all the ballet positions and I still can. <laughs> I loved the dancing and the singing and the fun of it all, the performing. And one day in 1962, we were told that a talent scout from a TV show was coming to see us perform with a view of maybe one or two of us going on this television show. I'm not sure whether my auntie Val had pulled some strings, but they were definitely interested in seeing me and had me sing my song twice. And a few weeks later, I was invited to perform on the show. To say I was excited is an understatement. Wet your pants, terrified at the same time, excited. I remember wetting my pants. But So suddenly I had to have extra lessons at Miss Roderick's house. She lived within walking distance from where we lived and I'd go there a couple of times a week to practice my song leading up to the TV appearance. Miss Roderick lived there with her companion, another sensibly dressed gal, both very similar and very comfortable with each other. And I'd never known anybody who lived with another person that wasn't married or weren't family. Now it's pretty obvious that they were gorgeous women in love. Of course, I knew nothing about homosexuality. In fact, I, when I was growing up, it was called being camp. And I was nine at this point, and my mother and father had a couple of very worldly, single, colourful male friends who used to come over for dinner parties. One worked in fashion and he was always going away to Bali and I used to think he must be so wealthy because he always came back with another houseboy. After every trip, he had another one. I just thought, he had servants, he's so wealthy. The other was a gorgeous artist called John Gibbs who had a home overlooking Bilgola Beach. Oh my God, he was fabulous. That house was like gay heaven, it was fabulous. He always had marvellous parfaits and desserts in the fridge that was there for my sister and I. I remember being maybe about 10 or something and asking my mother what camp meant. What does that mean to be camp? I don't understand. And she, said, she told me, this is my introduction to homosexuality, she told me that he'd been to a party once and somebody had put ice down his back and it had hit a nerve and it had made him effeminate. And that was what camp was. Beware the ice. But I digress. So, so I went to see Miss Roderick and I practised and practised and practised and practised until I could sing that song in my sleep. The day finally arrived to travel to Channel 7 to sing on the show. I, I remember it was one of those ridiculously hot summer days and we were shuffled over into a corner and told to be quiet as the show started. Welcome to the town of make-believe. That's what the show was called, I kid you not. I was ushered towards these two guys... They were called Uncle Reggie and Uncle Matt. Can you imagine if that was today? We'd have a show like that. Anyway, they were, I think that they were lying on these banana chairs in front of these big set of closed fake wooden double doors and they asked me my name and maybe they talked to me a little, I don't remember. But they asked me what I was going to sing and I told them, a dream is a wish, your heart makes some Cinderella. And they told me to push through, through those two big doors and go in and sing my song. Now, I don't remember very much of that performance. In fact, I don't remember it at all. But I remember pushing through those big doors into the town of make-believe, and I entered a magical world, and I've kept on singing, and I never walked back. Thank you. <laughs>
Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out Queer Stories on Patreon, where you can support the project for as little as $1 per month. Follow Queer Stories on Facebook for news and event updates. And follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.